would like to give that way after service. But as we do that, we want you to know that there is no pressure, there is no expectation that comes in this time. It really is simply just an opportunity. And so as we put that slide up, um, Justin's gonna get ready to come share the message this morning. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, it's so great to have all of you here with us as we celebrate this incredible miracle of Easter. And I must say, it's really cool that uh, there's actually a day on the calendar every year where Christians, and not just Christians, anyone who is exploring Christianity or, or even interested in Christianity, a day where uh, Christians and, and others kind of set their mind to, to focus on that incredible event that happened, that Christians believe literally changed everything when it comes to understanding what God's like and understanding what faith is all about. Obviously, uh, Christians love Easter. It's one of the most important events on the calendar. And what's crazy, and I don't know if you've thought about this, but I have, uh, it, it's, it's wild that billions of people today, literally billions of people all around the world are gathering. People from different backgrounds, different countries, different stories, different experiences. Billions of people are gathering. People who may just be checking church out and Easter out for the first time. People who love church and attend all the time. And people who may kind of usually on Sundays not lean into church, either because church has dealt them a bad hand and treated them poorly, or because they've done something that feels like it disqualifies them. But people like that all over the world are gathering today to think about and to celebrate what Jesus did and what he accomplished through his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. And so today, I'd just like to take a little bit of time and explore why. Why do billions of people show up on Easter Sunday? Why? Why is that? Why have people found a deep hope and a deep life-changing, meaningful hope in what happens on Easter? Literally, for centuries, why? Why is that? And why uh, have so many people experienced life change, like, like real life change, including myself and many other people sitting around you? Why have so many people experienced life change because of Easter? Why, why is that? And to answer that question, I, I wanna try and go through a journey through Easter. And I wanna do it a little differently this morning. Usually we'll go through, you know, with, with Jesus as the main character, obviously, on Easter. Or we'll look at it through his eyes or, or what's happening. Today what I wanna do is I wanna look at Easter through the eyes of someone else. I wanna look at Easter through the eyes of one of the people who actually experienced it firsthand, who was there, who watched it. 
and was a part of what happened. And the reason I wanna go through this is because this was someone who desperately wanted to do it right. He wanted to be an example of strength and leadership. He wanted to be uh, you know, a perfect follower of Jesus. And yet in all his desires, he ended up being possibly one of the worst failures and disappointments of the Easter story. In fact, if he had done what he did, we probably would have written him off as just that, a failure and a disappointment. But that's not where his story ends. It's actually incredible. And, and, and because of how he walked through Easter and how his story ends, he actually becomes the perfect example of what Easter's about. Because he becomes the perfect example of grace. And so, I hope that as we look at Easter through his eyes that every one of us can gain something from his experience and hopefully allow ourselves to discover just a little bit of what he discovered massively on that first Easter. We're gonna, we're gonna follow a guy named Peter through the story of Easter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. In fact, he was invited into things that the other disciples weren't invited into. Peter was there when miracles happened. Like, that's crazy. You know, he was there. When Jesus fed the 5,000, Peter held some of the bread that was multiplying. Like, that's who he was. He, when Jesus walked in the water, he was like, can I do it too? That's Peter. Peter was, according to Matthew, the guy who, when Jesus said, who am I? He was the guy who said publicly, you're the son of God. And that was a huge moment for Peter, massive. That's who Peter was. He was one of the closest guys to Jesus. And he was a guy who, like I said, wanted to and tried to do everything right. He made massive promises and huge commitments. And I believe that he was really proud of his promises and commitments. And I believe he was really proud of his successes and his achievements. And yet when it came down to it, on that Easter, he failed miserably. And so I think in a weird way, he's actually a perfect example of every single one of us. And the reason I say that is because I know this is true of me and I think it's true of all of us, but, but all of us, I believe, so often define ourselves by our successes or, or by our failures. We define ourselves by those things. And Peter did both in the Easter story. And all of us sometimes define ourselves by our promises or by our mistakes. And Easter again, and Peter again, did that during the Easter story. And so because we so often believe that God's acceptance of us and his love for us is so dependent on how we impress or how we perform, and his, his, his uh, displeasure with us is so often found and based on when we mess up or what we don't do. And so because we live in that kind of place, I think Peter's story his Easter experience is actually a perfect example of all of us because he lived the highs and lows of all of that and felt it very viscerally. And I think in his story, we can see ourselves, whether we define ourselves by successes or failures. And he lived that, and I hope in his story, we can get a different picture of what Easter actually provides and of how God actually sees you and me. So we're gonna dive into East, uh, Peter's story through Easter and we're gonna start the night before Easter happened, the night before Jesus was crucified because Jesus asked his closest disciples, 12 of them, to, to have dinner with him and that dinner has become known as the Last Supper. And at this dinner, Jesus told them very, very clearly that I'm gonna die. Jesus said, I'm gonna die for the sins of all mankind. So that whoever believes in me, whoever trusts me, whoever trusts what I've done, that sin never has to separate you from God, ever. And Jesus said that very, very clearly. And, and Peter was there, listening. 
And yet, even though he was there eating and listening to what Jesus said, I don't think he got it. I don't think he understood it really, because as you see in the story, he goes on defining himself by his successes or his failures and doesn't even listen to what Jesus said that he was about to do. And so, you know, that's where it starts, and it kind of starts going, okay, where is this going to go? Jesus said this amazing thing, and then they end dinner, and they walk out of that on the way to the Mount of Olives, and then Mark, we're going we're gonna to read a lot of the story out of the, the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark is, a, is a, an account of Jesus' life that was written by a guy named Mark, but Mark wasn't one of the 12 disciples, so where did he get his information? Mark was actually a really good friend of Peter's. And so whatever Mark writes, it's very, very likely that all that information came straight from Peter. So as we read Mark's words, we can assume that Peter told him all this stuff. And it's interesting that Peter tells him what happened next, because Jesus has the Last Supper, says this amazing stuff, and then they walk out to the Mount of Olives. And here's what Mark tells us in Mark chapter 14, verse 27. On the way, Jesus told them, <laughs> you ready? All of you will desert me. <laughs> We've just had the Last Supper. It's like, yay, everything's well. What? All of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then he says in verse 28, but I, after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So here's something so interesting because what happens is Jesus tells them two really big things. The second thing is he says, I'm gonna die, yes, but I'm gonna rise from the dead and I'm gonna see you again. He says that, but what's crazy is I don't think any of the disciples even heard him say that because of the shock of the first part. Because the first thing Jesus says to them is this, that you guys, the strongest of the strong, the best disciples, you're with me for three and a half years, all this stuff, you've seen all the miracles, heard all the teachings, you're gonna desert me. <laughs> and I'm sure they're like, what? And didn't even hear the second part. But I'm so glad Jesus said this. And as we see in the story, they do. And I'm, in a very weird way, so glad they did. You know why? Because they were the best of the best. They had seen the miracles, they'd heard all the teachings, they were the closest followers, and they deserted him. The reason I'm grateful that that's part of the story is because I know me, and I know how fickle I am sometimes, and I know how I have questions and doubts and struggles, and so if the best of the best struggled, it makes me feel better about me. The other thing I learned from this is that the best of the best, these guys who deserted him in his greatest time of need, the best of the best, they needed the miracle of Easter as well. Because what's interesting is these guys, before Easter happened, while Easter was happening, they were deserters. They ran away and gave up. After Easter, they became people who eventually, most of them gave their lives, died as martyrs for him. So what on earth happened? What changed them from being deserters to being martyrs? Something happened. Something was introduced during Easter that changed these guys from being deserters to martyrs, and even the best of the best needed that thing that changed them. But let's look at Peter's response. He doesn't even seem to hear the second part about Jesus rising from the dead. Not only I don't think because of the shock of what Jesus said, but I think what Jesus said offended his pride. Because look at his response, verse 29. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter's pride is so offended. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then all the others hear that and vowed 
the same. Now, now that's a huge promise. <laughs> it's a big promise. And that started Peter's Easter failures. It was the massive promise to God of what he would do for him. Now, before we see what happens, I just want to acknowledge again that when I see Peter's promises, I see myself again. You know why? Because I know how many promises I've made to God. That God, if you will only do this, then I promise I will. Well, God, I'll never, ever, ever do that again. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And then I know how many times I've broken those promises. So I see myself in Peter because look what happened in the next few minutes and hours after Peter made this powerful promise and you know, this, this, this thing, this words that he said to him. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed and he asked Peter and the other disciples, he said to them, guys, this is tough, I'm struggling, would you please pray with me? And be alert because this is it, this is, this is, this is it. And look what happens. Jesus goes and prays, verse 37 says this, then he returned and found his disciples asleep. <laughs> I'll never leave you. I'll never deny, desert you. And he said to Peter, Simon, he had two names, Simon Peter. He said to him, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll always be there. And he's asleep. And what's crazy, this has happened three times. Not just once. You think he would listen. But he goes and prays and he falls asleep. He comes back and he's asleep. He goes and prays again. He falls asleep again. He goes and prays three times. Peter fell asleep. And then it gets even worse because right after that, Judas brings this mob of people to arrest Jesus and drag him off to be crucified. And in that moment, I think Peter's feeling a little embarrassed that he didn't fulfill. So he's trying to fulfill and trying to defend Jesus. But look what happens. John 18.10 tells us this. When the mob came, Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. And so what's happening here, I think, is this, that Peter is so determined now to defend Jesus and to defend his face, faith that, that, that he went against the very character of Jesus. And he became violent. That's another sad failure in the story of Peter's Easter experience. And, and it's not only Peter's experience, because I think this has happened throughout the history of Christianity as well. And even into our own time today, where, where we sometimes want to defend the faith so much that we begin to do things Jesus never would do, and say things Jesus never would say, and treat people in ways that Jesus never would. So Jesus holds Peter back and says, that's not who we are. That's not what we do, Peter. The story goes on. And right after, he cut the guy's ear off and Jesus was arrested. And while Peter's words, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will, still ringing in the ears of everyone. <clears throat> Mark tells us in Mark 14, 50, then all his disciples, all deserted him and ran away, including Peter. <laughs> and he literally broke the promise he had made just a few hours before, right there, that night. This was clearly turning out to be a great night, great happy Easter, Peter. <laughs> it's a tough night for him, but this was his experience <clears throat> of the first Easter. So Jesus gets dragged away and put before this council and tried and condemned. And while this is happening, I wanna show you what Peter is busy doing while that's happening. And before I show you what's happening, I wanna remind you 
that as we read these works that Mark, these words that Mark wrote down, these are probably Peter's words. How did Mark know? Peter told him to write this down. And, and so when I see that and I realize Peter told him to do this, I wonder, gosh, how is this guy so honest about his mistakes and his biggest failures? How is he so honest about that? Because, and the reason I ask that is because, again, I know me. I don't like being honest about my mistakes. I don't want everybody to know my mistakes. Peter was okay with it. I usually want people to know my strengths and successes, but somehow Peter tells Mark to write this stuff down for everyone to read. And I think what, what I realize in, in looking at that is that something had to change in Peter. Because before he saw Jesus after he had risen again, before Easter became real to him, while Easter was happening, he wanted to hide and run away and all the stuff. But after Easter, he, he's okay with Mark sharing it, with everybody sharing it. The reality is something had to change in Peter's heart as a result of Easter. And even while he experienced it, it hadn't happened yet. Let me show you what Mark tells us. As Jesus is being tried, this is what Peter tells Mark to write down, remember? Verse 66, meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below, and one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire, and she looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth, but Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway, and just then, a rooster crowed. <clears throat> Verse 69, when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. And a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. I can hear it in your accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Imagine that moment. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows twice. You will deny three times that you even know me. And in that moment, ah, in that moment, Peter knew right there and then that he was lying. And he was intentionally lying, intentionally denying Jesus, who he had just said, I will never deny you. And he had broken the promise he'd made to Jesus just a few hours before. And the verse, the passage ends by saying this, and he broke down and wept. And I'm sure through all the shame and the tears and the wrestling with the fact that he had literally just broken his promise, lied, deserted his Savior, in the midst of all that, he probably just sort of sunk into the background and then watched from afar what was happening to Jesus as he was crucified, just from afar, with tears streaming down. And here's the crazy thing. What's amazing is I don't think he even knew or realized in all his shame and all his guilt and all his tears running down that what he was watching from far away now was literally about to change everything for him. You see, Peter, in that moment while he was pulling away and hiding, Peter still thought in that moment that it was his own efforts, his own successes, and his own failures that defined him. That's what he believed very strongly. 
He still believed that it was his own promises and his own commitments and, that made him acceptable to God. And he still believed thoroughly that, that it was his own inability to fulfill those promises that still defined him. He didn't yet realize that Jesus' death on that cross, that he was watching from afar, that Jesus' death on that cross, that he had told him many times before, it was that that was busy changing the whole story. And he didn't know that yet. And so he wept and he walked away and he gave up and he hid. And Jesus died on that cross and he was buried and all the disciples were distraught and disappointed and pretty much gave up on their faith in him. We know that because even on the third day after he had died and been buried, even like Easter Sunday morning, even on that day, John tells us this about him in John 20 verse 9, about Peter and the other disciples. They still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said uh, that, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. They still didn't understand that. On the third day even. So they gave up. And again, we see how this amazing respected disciple of Jesus could not live up to his own promises or his own religious commitments in his own strength and his own effort. Unless something changed in his heart, he never would I mean, even when people who did go to the grave on that Sunday morning and saw it was empty and actually saw Jesus, they ran back to Peter and the other guys and they said, guys, we've seen him, he has risen. And look what Luke tells us that they said after they heard that. Luke 24, 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, this is Peter's Easter story. None, no, no, he is risen, he's risen indeed. No, none of that. This is Peter's Easter story. Over and over and over again, Peter tells us of his mistakes and his unfulfilled promises and attempts and failures. He makes it clear that before he saw Jesus and experienced the miracle of Easter, before he experienced that, even while it was happening, he was not and could not be what he promised he would be. He tells us in his own words through Mark, and he lets other people Tell us that story. That is Peter's Easter story. So let me ask you this question then. If that's Peter's Easter story, then why on earth do we respect him as one of the heroes of the Christian faith? <laughs> why do we trust his words? Because he wrote part of the Bible. Why do we trust his words? Why do we trust his teachings? Certainly not because he was awesome and great and did everything right. <laughs> he did not do that. The reason we trust Peter and his words and his teachings is not because Peter was strong and successful. The reason we trust his words is because Peter saw his own weaknesses and his inability to do it all. And when that happened in him, when he saw that, that's when he began to understand and become open to the miracle of Easter. Peter tells us about this in his own words in a letter that he wrote many years later as he's thinking back of what happened because Peter did get to see Jesus. And when he did, everything started to make sense that hadn't made sense before that. But when he saw him, everything didn't. This is what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says this, Christ suffered for our sins for my sins, once and for all time. He never sinned, Christ never sinned, but he died for sinners, Peter's writing. And he did it to bring you and me home safely to 
God. I tried to bring myself home to God. It didn't work. I tried it all. It didn't. But he died for sinners to bring us home safely to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. That's what happened on that first Easter. And later in the same letter, Peter tells us something that makes sense of the miracle of Easter and what it was all about. He tells us what changed him. And he tells us what Easter offers us. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 5 verse 10. He says this, and this is so cool. The God of all grace. (laughs) The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, he will do it, will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, The miracle of Easter introduced Peter to grace. Before Easter, he believed that he had to impress, that he had to establish, that he had to confirm his worth, that he had to restore himself when he messed up. Before Peter understood and experienced the miracle of Easter, he was defined by his own successes and his own failures. He was defined by his own messes and his own moralism, whichever one he could do or was the last thing that he did. Before Easter, he was defined by his promises and by his own effort. Before Easter, Peter believed that if he could impress Jesus enough with his actions and his words and his promises and his follow-through, that he would be enough, that he'd be accepted and valued and saved. That's what he relied on, but he never could. (laughs) It never worked. And what Peter learned that Easter is that it wasn't in his own goodness or promises or actions, and it was also not in his own failures and denials and lies and mistakes. The miracle of Easter told him and tells us that none of that defines us anymore. What Peter discovered is that the thing that defines us now is grace. Let me read those words again. 1 Peter 5, 10. The God of all grace. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish You see, Peter discovered that the miracle of Easter is grace, forgiving grace, rescuing grace, transforming grace, empowering grace. That when Jesus died for all sin and rose again, he made grace real and he made grace available. Grace that forgives us of everything we've done. Anything we've done. Grace that rescues us from the mess that we sometimes create for ourselves or is created by others against us. Grace that transforms us and makes us new. And grace that empowers us to live what he's called us to live. Peter said, he himself restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes. And from that day on, all the historical evidence that we have of Peter's life shows that Peter no longer defined himself by his successes or failures, by his moralism or messes, by his promises or failures to live up to those promises. He no longer defined himself by that. But Peter defined himself by that grace that he discovered because of Easter. And don't get me wrong, Peter went on to make a lot more mistakes. 
We actually know some of them from scripture and from history. We know the mistakes he made. And I don't believe, even we even know this, that he sometimes faltered from this grace to find me and went back into, oh my gosh, I gotta do. He sometimes did that, but he always came back to being defined, not by successes or failures, not by moralism or messes, but by grace. And from that day on, Peter went out and the invitation that he started extending to every person he could find, including you and me, because we get to read his words, was an invitation to recognize and realize that we're no longer defined by our successes or failures, by our moralism or messes, by our promises or our follow through, but Easter made it possible to be defined by grace. And I think when Peter finally realized this, he was like, oh my gosh, now I know what the Last Supper meant. (laughs) I think he thought back on the words of what Jesus said on that Last Supper. And when he realized that when Jesus took bread and broke it, and here's the words that he said. He said this in Mark 14, 22, take it for this is my body. He took bread and he broke it. I think Peter finally realized as he looked back, as he saw all his failures, as he saw all his promises and he realized that he couldn't do it in his own strength and efforts. I think he realized the significance of this simple statement, take it for this is my body. You see, I think what Jesus was saying is this, this is my body, not yours. Not your struggles, not your failures. This is my body. And then he said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. This is my blood, not yours. Not your blood, sweat, and tears. (laughs) This is my blood. And I think Peter went, oh my gosh, he said it all along. In other words, what Peter realized is this is not dependent What Jesus said to him, this is not dependent on your successes, Peter, your achievements, or your promises. This is dependent on my successes, my achievements, my promises. This is my body and my blood. And when Peter realized that, oh my gosh, imagine when Peter realized that, it changed everything. And the shame of failure began to dissipate. And the fear of failure also began to dissipate. And the pride from performance began to dissipate. And the the, the need to impress began to dissipate. (laughs) And Peter found rest and confidence in the grace that came because of Easter. It's incredible. So let me ask you, where are you at? What is your experience of Easter? We know Peter's, I mean, the highs and the lows, it's pretty crazy. But what's your experience of Easter? What do you rely on when it comes to God? What did you walk in here today with? A need to check something off a religious list? A need to impress? Did you walk in here with a feeling of shame and despair that no one knows about but you know? Did you walk in here with the need to make up for something that you've done? What do you think makes you acceptable to God? Your successes and your failures? Your moralism? Your messes? Your promises? Or grace? Or grace? Do you experience like Easter like Peter did before it happened and while it happened? Or do you experience Easter like Peter did after he realized the significance of what happened. Because Jesus, like he said to Peter, 
says to you on this Easter, this is my body, not yours. This is my body, not yours. Not your successes, not your failures. This is my blood, not yours. Not your effort, not your blood, sweat, and tears. And if you will accept that, then, like Peter said, the God, and I'll put the scripture up again, the God of all grace, if we accept that that's what Easter provides, this is my body, my blood, not yours, then the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Easter is an invitation, an incredible invitation into grace. That's what it's about. In fact, Jesus uh, gave his disciples, when he told them this thing, it's my body and my blood, he actually gave them something to remember that. Every time they do it to remember, oh my gosh, this is an invitation into grace. Because um, it wasn't just that he broke bread, but he asked them to do it over and over again. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 looks back at that event and says this, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and he said this, here are those words, this is my body which is given for you. There is grace again. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to do this so you can remember this invitation into grace. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood, not yours. That's grace. And again, he says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So today, as I close, we wanna take a moment and use those symbols to remember the incredible invitation into grace. That just as Peter took a piece of that bread and, and Jesus said, this is my body, not yours. This is my blood, not yours. That we will be able to eat this bread and drink this cup and remember that no matter how you came in today, what successes you're trying to rely on and what failures you're trying to overcome, that he said that doesn't matter because it's his body, not your effort. It's his blood, not your blood, sweat, and tears. We are defined by grace if we accept what he did. So the band is gonna come out and they're gonna play a song. And as they do, you've actually got a little cup under your seats. And in that cup, there's a tiny little piece of bread on the one side and a little sip of juice on the other side. And as the band plays this, I would love for us to join Peter and the other disciples as we eat the bread and drink from the cup and remember that Jesus said, this is my body and my blood, knowing that what Easter made possible is grace that allows the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Easter is an invitation, a powerful invitation into grace. And I hope and I pray that we can accept that invitation. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for grace. I know me, I know my attempts, I know my weaknesses, I know my failures. And I'm so grateful that you 
give grace. I'm so grateful that we get to know the story of Peter on that first Easter. I'm so grateful that he allowed us to know that story. And the only reason he could allow us to know it is if his heart was changed by grace and if he knew that he wasn't defined by those weaknesses or those promises, but that he was defined by grace. And I'm so grateful for the invitation that I have, that we have, to remember today by taking the a symbol of your body, a symbol of your blood, and eating and drinking it as a reminder that this is your body, your effort, your success, your achievement, not ours. This is your blood, not our blood, sweat, and tears that provides the grace we need to be defined by. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus' death and resurrection made grace real and it made grace available. And that's the incredible invitation of Easter that we no longer have to be defined by our successes or attempts at successes. And we no longer have to be defined by our failures or our mishaps around the promises. We can be defined by His grace. And that's the invitation of Easter. Thank you so much for celebrating Easter with us. Next week, we start a series where we start talking about, okay, how do we live in that grace? If we've accepted it, how how do we live our lives in that? And we hope you can join us for that. But until then, happy Easter. We hope you have a fantastic week and God bless you.